we met him with uh, some other people, our president, and all the stuff which is boss so complete. And we were so proud of, uh, of uh, showing this uh, to the world, but not only in this case, but uh, many people are engaged, especially in archaeological discoveries, and to see what is the history of a country which is so small, but yet at the same time is so great. Not only that I'm proud of being Guatemalan myself, but my ancestors, uh, I'm not white, as you can see, obviously, I'm a mixed blood, mestizo. My Mayan descendancy is my grandmother. My grandmother is, was a Mayan. My, my grandfather was a Spanish. Uh, and so uh, these kind of things which are so peculiar about Latin American culture, and for you who have been traveling and, and know the cultures of other parts of the world, uh, there is a, a cultural unique, if you may say it, in, this, uh, in these lands. Unfortunately, as my presentation goes along with, uh, with these things and showing to you what does it mean for us to be a disciple of the Lord in this land? Well, looking at this uh, quick uh, presentation on the Church of the Nazarene uh, telling us that we essentially are Christ-like disciples. And uh, when I think in terms of uh, what does it mean to be a Christian in a country, and what does it mean to be a Christian in a context in which I live in, and with the struggles that we face day by day, I say, well, for us, it would mean another thing than for, a, for an outsider would mean something else. But uh, speakingly, in terms of the heritage of the church especially, I would say that uh, we as Christians and uh, doesn't matter your background, but if you're a committed Christian, you see this from, from the insights of a, of a man, of myself, the struggles to understand the particular conditions of the country and how it, how it fits within the whole picture of the Wesleyan tradition of the church. Let me show you the, 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 the presentation that I do. Let's leave my presentation, if, if you would mind, <coughs> and skip this one for a matter of time. My struggles has been really <clears throat> in terms of uh, interpreting the words of the scripture and the words that I just mentioned. Why are you seeking among the dead, <laughs> the living? And I just tell you that I put my hope not on dead structures, but on living the structures of the church. And when I see that my faith is grounded on the risen Lord, and I say, well, there is always hope for us. And there's always hope for the American church and there is always hope for a Malan and Latin American church. We are the church of the Lord. We are the church of the living Christ. And this is the most wonderful event happening in our lives. So, <clears throat> Guatemala, I titled this From the Greatness of the Mayas to the Banana Countries. The struggle for social justice. And we fight those things. The social justice in the midst of our lands. And then, Hansen told us, uh, when we were with him, you know, talking about the discovery, he says, by conserving this, we are blessing the lives of an entire nation. And that's true, Richard Hansen. Richard Hansen, archaeological research, has indeed blessed our lives uh, by showing us the greatness of our lost Mayan history. Lost Mayan civilization were endures up to the present time by the greatness of their cultural uh, 
survival under socioeconomic oppression. Uh, you can see all, if you go to Guatemala, you can uh, live among the people there and see who they are, our Mayan descendants, selling their markets and all those kind of details. And uh, the greatness continues today when you consider that modern descendants of our Mayan ancestors are the largest groups of Christians in the country. That's something. Uh, the Church of the Nazarene began among the Kekchi Mayan people in the early 20th century. I grew up in a Kekchi in Indian uh, environment and I learned the language of the Mayas, the Kekchi. And uh, our largest Nazarene churches are among the Mayas. The paradox is that the descendants of the Mayas are today the poorest of the poor, not the empire of the past. Which goes along related to Mexico, to the Incas, the greatness, or lost. They survive in Guatemala with their culture and ancient traditions. As you can see, and those of you who have traveled to my land, you know it. So, ancient Guatemala history can be traced back to the first Mayan culture, as, uh, as it was shown in 2,000 years ago, as El Mirador shows. One of the greatest pyramids in the world. It is incredible. Development flourished with little or no contact with cultures from outside the Mesoamerican area. Mayan civilization dominated the region for nearly 2,000 years before the Spanish arrived under conquistador Pedro de Alvarado, which was our conqueror, Spanish conqueror, in the 1520s. Their legacy is the Popol Hu, the Bible of the Kichan Indians in the, the, these cultures, with their own ancient cosmology similar to Genesis. It's incredible. I've been doing some research and studies on the, the cosmological vision of the Mayas and related to the Bible. Not that it's similar, but there's so many things are common. Uh, now proven is not a Spanish Catholic, but Mayan. It tells you the greatness of this civilization, but also the greatest in how God, in a sense, our God, used it to put in the minds of people how he was the creator, even in those minds of the Mayan people. So, Guatemala remained Spanish colony for almost 300 years. And this was independence in 1821. It was part of the Mexican Empire till any forest. We get along with the Mexicans, of course. <laughs> they, they were our conquerors. We were friends. And so, today Guatemala is a multicultural nation with 22 ethnic groups with their own languages. And they are descendants of the Mayas. Their customs is unique in the Guatemalan folklore and a major tourist attraction. And uh, since then, we say, well, Guatemala history has been divided into periods of conquest, colonialism, and recent rule by periods of civil war military juntas. Most recently, Guatemala emerged from a 36th civil war. Can you imagine that? We were a country in fight, civilian. Uh, reestablishing a representative government in 1985. What does it mean? Well, 1985, a new constitution gave birth to our new democracy. That means a lot to us. We just start living under a new political pattern, democracy. We are a baby country with only 25 years of democratic rule. Can you imagine our past? So, since then, <laughs> Guatemala said, please don't vote for Don Pedro de Alvarado. <laughs> what does it mean, starting with the brutal subjugation of this man? 
led by Pedro de Alvarado, the conquistador Spanish rule Guatemala from 20, 22 years. Any, anyone that has the number Pedro was just eliminated from the list of being elected. Huh? Independence in 2031, but free from the Spanish, but not from conquerors. Guatemala history shifted from the Spanish lords to the British in the 18th century to the U.S. in the, in the 19th and the 20th century. How it? Well, the United States domination in the early 20th century, the British took Belize, and uh, the U.S. controlled Guatemalan economy and politics. We were the banana republics. Uh, eat a lot of bananas, they help us <laughs> in our commerce, <laughs> which fostered on the American feelings and resistance in other Latin American countries. Yeah. We don't fight about bananas, but uh, it's good. U.S. is selling, is buying bananas from us. But uh, you must know the history of the bananas. The banana republics, they were called, Central America. Latin American countries that U.S. United Fruit Company controlled with corporate blackmail. Other countries included were Cuba, Haiti, Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Honduras, the banana countries. Minor Cooper Keat, a man that you must know. Head, head of the United Fruit Company, very powerful, like Don Pedro de Alvarado. Like Pedro de Alvarado, very aggressive. And so, but I'm sharing this. Why I'm sharing, sharing this and telling you the story? You must know who we are. Uh, the Monopoly United Fruit Company owned all means of productions and distribution of bananas. Forced small business out, only three companies. We call them the, in our Guatemala history, Holy Trinity. <laughs> Holy Trinity. What is that? The Holy Trinity was huge, huge multinational corporations UFC, United Fruit Company, ERC, International Rail of Central America, and the United Fruit Steamship Company. They no longer exist, thanks God, except Chiquita and Banana Brand Company, which is a U.S. Co company which uh, buys us the bananas. And so, Effects of uh, U.S. imperialism, Guatemalan government, U.S. promoted dictators as long as they supported U.S. investments up, in the, up to the 80s. And so these dictators could not hold power unless they had a good attitude toward U.S. business. This is a sad and non-historical background for Americans provide us our recent history of war, which ended with the peace agreements in 1996. Guatemalan, I feel so sad because of this history and sharing with you people that are Christians and concerned about the world and concerned about other countries, concerned about other Christians. You must know the story. So, uh, my generation is a generation from the civilian Guatemalan warfare. My cousin was killed in one of those things. We, uh, it was a day by day. Uh, my wife looked at some of the Killings in the Guatemalan city when was the war for? It was terrible. It marked our lives. So, cheap labor, free land, obey, well press, gained 24 million in assets, control 85% of land in Guatemala, no tax free material free land uh, near railroad. That was the benefit. In the US, the US didn't get involved so much, you know, 94, 40, 40, 94 revolution conditions were really bad in, the, in that history. Guatemala was depressed, people exhausted, terrorized in dictatorship. And so, um, I was mentioning this Latin American general history, but uh, going to the point in the Guatemalan history for you to know and understand the role of the church and understand missions to understand the background. 
Elected after a revolution, we had a revolution down there in 1940s, first free election, democratic against foreign investment, one to Guatemala, Guatemala, and land reform, which annoy U.S. investors. This part is, uh, in our history, is a landmark, and all our college students know the history. Sometimes you get anti-American feelings when you go to those countries because of these. And I always tell my students, it's not true. The U.S. is not a bad country. It's just a matter of history that happens. And there are differences also in terms of Americans. Uh, they want, they do not want to annoy other peoples. But anyways, that has been history. And our president was overthrown, as, as it says there. So, let's, next, uh, the next one. Uh, 1954, coup d'etat, and continues the, the led by CIA propaganda against Guatemalan regime documented by U.S. journalism. That's the title of, 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 the, of the things that I mentioned, you know. It was uh, documented by U.S. journalists in the book Bitter Fruit, referring to the banana fruits. That's the title of my presentation, from the Mayan Empire to the banana countries of Central America, which happened. This, this, you can find it in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in your research. So to understand the whole background of the history of Central American countries. That's the picture you know, with a man who is not, 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 not very much loved in Guatemala. The, there he was, or the dictator. And uh, from here, from, from, his, uh, from that time, it started the guerrilla warfare. In, when you can imagine this, over 150,000 people were killed. 45,000 missing human rights violations all over. That's the history of the country. And all these things, you know, that recently, back in the 80s, back in the 80s, I told my kids, you know, when my kids were small enough, uh, well, they were small, uh, I, told, I explained to them the history of the country, you know, that uh, we were the product of a war and stuff like that. They don't understand it now. They live in a, in a global thing and people tend to forget about the history. But for us, we're all adults and who live in these things, so we can never forget it. And so that squads, scorched earth, modern villages, civil patrols, genocide, atmosphere, bullets and beans, that was the policy of the government. Today, Guatemala signed the peace treaty since 1996, by which the guerrillas became a political party after 35 years of war and 150,000 dead. Terrible. The UN had to be part of those kind of things. And probably some of you may hear about the news and reports. Uh, very sad. Rigoberta Menchu, our Indian representative worldwide, peace worker activist, won the Nobel Prize in 1992. She wrote, I, Rigoberta Menchu, was translated in many, many languages. She ran for president in our last election, but we feel she still needs another 200 years to become president, <laughs> as with the U.S. Remember, we are only 25 years in democracy. It takes you almost 300 years to be a, a black president to have it. Maybe 200 years we'll have an Indian president and in Guatemala too. We have Mayan descendants in our Congress. That's, we've done some steps in doing this thing, you know, in our Congress and some hope that politicians that are engaged into this kind of things. And uh, <coughs> uh, I, I have obtained you, the Indians have obtained through legal rights their own freedom to exist. That's good. The UN promotes Indian rights, and there are strong movements among Indians to understand their own ancestral fate. And as I was saying, that uh, we were doing some progress, and there was, at, at least there is a good news for us to see a new country developing. 
We cannot forget the past, of course. But uh, from the past, we will build in the future. And uh, the nations of the world build from, from what they have up to the present. And I know, sure, I'm sure that there is hope. And there will be hope. And we fight for hope. And that's why the reason why I'm sharing with you today uh, the things that we were doing as, as committed Christians to, to change a little bit that sad story of our land. Okay. <clears throat> the next one, please, and we'll finish in this. This is Rigoberta. Probably some of you may know her, but she won the Nobel Prize, the Peace, the Peace Nobel Prize in Guatemala. It says, My commitment to our struggle recognizes neither boundaries nor limits. Only those who ask who carry our cause in our hearts are willing to run the risk. Uh, she said this in a UN uh, discourse. She's a very good friend of the uh, European presidents and who, who, who sometimes came to Guatemala to visit her. I don't want to make this a longer history, but for you to understand that from the 90s and 1980s to 1990s, a recent history, you know, for you to see, uh, it's just mentioning all these kind of things that I won't, I won't read it, but you can see there. Uh, for us in Central America, the 80s was the time of cool war between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Big power put their guns into work. You can read it the rest. We put the dead into our fields. We ought to blame our politicians for the dirty work, not the people. Cerezo, presidents, Serrano, all these presidents, the 83 president of peace agreements. As a result, the U.S. signed the CAFT agreement, Central America Trade Agreement, with the five nations of Central America. Was, okay, let's put it together, Heather said the U.S., you know. You, I, I need you, the five of you, not only one of you. It's such a small economy, you cannot drill, trade agreement. So put us the governments, five governments to work together. And so the trade agreement. 20, in the 2004, the U.S. and the Central American government, along with the rich entrepreneurs, signed the trade agreement. Only, of course, to benefit a few, not the whole country. Since then, the U.S. corporations and the local economies elites have taken hold of Central American countries. Poverty persists as the major problem in Central America and Guatemala. Salvador, Honduras, and Nicaragua, believe me, are the poorest in Latin America. Guatemala is uh, classified as one of the worst countries in the poor, poor in the world, not only in Latin America. But to me, it's a shame. But I can't understand why. And how we can do it to solve this. Not to maybe to solve what was sharing that uh, problems are so big and I do not want to add more problems to your conscience. But looking at the world from a different angle, which to me is very important for you to understand. Yes, there is always hope. Or do you agree with me? There is hope. Yes. If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, there is always hope. As Christians, we are always people of hope in God's kingdom with his good news for the poor. I'm absolutely sure that that's the biblical principle. Good news to the poor. Hope that as Guatemala and Azorin Christians, we can change for the better with the help of other Christians. Such as yourself. Hope that we can pay attention to the major socioeconomic issues and social justice that we heal our land with our action and prayers. Yes. We need a lot of healing. 
how big we can share together a new understanding of what it means to be a holiness people by taking care of the weak. You know why we do it? Precisely. We cannot leave, we cannot be blind to the realities of the world. Um, uh, how big we can see Christians in the U.S. much more involved in the struggles for suffering world. I would say not with your money, but with yourselves. We know how to handle our problems when we need help. And what we are doing precisely with this team of professional Nazarenes, we want to see a hope. We've tried to build a hospital and all those things. We can do it. We know we can do it. And uh, because we are men and women of hope. And I want you to be contagious of the hope. There is always hope for us. We are Christians. And to me, this is, if, I, if you would like to say, this is the main point that I want to make in my message. We are a people of hope. Yes. And so, concluding all these things, what is our theological agenda? You cannot understand what we do as theologians and now as Christians if you don't have our theological agenda. Well, Poverty is the lack of basic necessities to all human beings must have. Food and water, shared education, medical care, security, etc. You know, a multidimensional issue. Poverty exceeds all socio-economic and political boundaries. As such, efforts to alleviate poverty must be informed as a variety of different factors. So, in 1997, the richest fifth of the world's population had 74 times the income of the poorest fifth. It cannot be. The top three billionaires have assessed greater than the combined GDP of all least developed countries. Cannot be possible. Well, everyone has the right to standard of living adequate to the health and well-being of him, her, herself, and his, her family, including food, clothing, housing, medical care, etc. That's what Universal Declaration of Human Rights. What can we do to help this rule happen? Well, just showing you this because my concern is towards social justice in the world. Third world countries lose out through the fair trade agreements, lack of technology investment and rapidly changing prices for the goods. Better communication and transportation have led to a globalized economy. Companies look for low-cost countries to invest in. This can mean that true there are jobs, they are low paid. That's true. Did you know it? I know it. That third world countries have to pay interest on their debts. I know the U.S. has a lot of huge debt too. But these debts compared with our own debts, well, where are we going to get the money to pay those debts? This means that we cannot afford to spend enough on basic services like health and education, not on things like transport and communications that might attract investment. Land. If you have land, you can grow your own food. But many people in the third world, at least in Latin America, have had their taken over by large business, often to grow crops for export. And then we see this constantly going on in those lands. Environment. I show it to you and I, I, I explained to you the other day that according to the EPPC, Guatemala is among the ten most vulnerable nations worldwide to experience climate change. It's just Notice this, a child born in an industrialized country will add more to pollution over his or her lifetime than 30 to 50 children born in the third world. However, the third world child is likely to experience the consequences of pollution in a much of a devastating way. For example, 
annual carbon dioxide emissions have quadrupled in the last 50 years. This contribution to global warming leading to devastating changes in weather patterns. We know that and we feel the effect of that. Better, we are better vulnerable as a nation, small nation, very vulnerable to climate change. And so aid, access to basic services for everyone would cost approximately all this amount of money. And then fair trade, fair trade guarantees higher, most stable prices for the world producers like out. Look out for products, I would say. Look out for products with a fair trade. We don't even know what, uh, what, how, how to say it. But uh, uh, we are not fighting against U.S. companies or whatever, you know. But, but as people, you see, we can do something. Instead of buying a Coke, why don't you buy something else? Let us put it that way, at least in our consumer, little consumer society, in our own context. And so, uh, the amount of money the U.S. spends on gum and chocolate, I was incredible to me. Do you believe this? I guess so. Oh my goodness, but this is our world. <laughs> we have to live with realities. And uh, let's say, move to the, the, the final ones they want to show. And this is the paradox I want to leave in your hearts. The paradox poverty and blessing. The poor are blessed. But let me tell you, to live in poverty is a curse. And yet, to live in poverty is a curse. The richer curse. Where do I get this? Well, you can find the Bible. <laughs> Yet riches are a blessing, but for only a few of the world. We say that if the U.S. needs Latin America gets pneumonia. That's true. <laughs> it's incredible. That's the way we look from down here. When you are on top, you don't see from the bottom. We know, we know the feeling what's to be on the bottom. We are not on top. Guatemala have deeply depend on U.S. trade and also its immigrants to the U.S. Well, however riches are such a danger that Jesus called us to give them up, the blessing is not in poverty. Let me be clear about it. I love the rich and I love the poor. doesn't matter. Both of us are sinful. And yet, it seems to me that the blessing is not in poverty, but in the kingdom to which the poor respond. I heard a witness of an American youth who came to, to our land and says, almost cry. I was converted in that experience. Because people are very, very poor, and yet they are so happy. It's the happiness of the Lord, of the Lord they put in their hearts. The proof Guatemala has the largest percentage of evangelical Christians in our Latin America. There are churches of all tastes, but few of them are doing their true mission. Sounds familiar. There must be also the same situation in the United States. Let me conclude it. Let me conclude it. What can we do? And put it this way, and the other slide that I made it to you. For us, Nazarene Christians, we must engage through dialogue between North and South. It's what we are doing, such as we are doing in this academic setting. We praise, and yet we ponder. We listen, and yet we have to act. We disciple and we teach that we consider this right, an ethics of holiness for everyone, rich and poor. I believe this. I believe this. And uh, we are in the same world, 
We are not on Mars, we are not on the moon, but in the same earth. Let us put together the best of our efforts to solve our problems and dimensions that we have. And for this we say, this is my plea to you. For the U.S. would say, labels are simple as you can best your consumer society. Torres tourists in Guatemala would say, eat tortillas and frijoles. Don't get impressed with the bull king in the McDonald's. Go try to live on the pool, be exposed to poverty. Know what poverty is. Understand that the ugly face of economies expresses in the faces of the poor. Live as much as you can. The Lord is, is with you, is with me. But let us fight against consumer mentality. If you have six pairs of shoes, use only one. <laughs> if you have whatever, don't think about it. Give it away. Remember that the price of man is not on the what he owns, but who he is as a person. In this materialistic world, we need that much needed word from the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, boy, has with me, please. God in heaven, God on earth, our heavenly Father, who died on the cross for us, rich and poor, have mercy on us, O Lord. From the sufferings of our world and the sufferings of this wounded world in which we live in, I pray for my brother and sister here in North America with their own suffering, their own loneliness. O oh God, help us in third world countries to be faithful to you. To be faithful to you amidst of poverty and oppression. Let my brethren in North America be also faithful to you in the midst of the suffering. God, we ask you your forgiveness for what we have not done. And we ask your forgiveness as a church in a consumer society. We ask you to be with us the rest of the day and the rest of our lives. We won't forget this message and bring it together the message of hope. Because we as Christians, we are people of God, people of hope. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We have, we can share with the have-nots of this world. Bless the United States as they become the leading power in the, United, in the world, but with another dimension of justice for all our earth. Thanks for being with us this morning and bless this academic community, the president, teachers, and students. And I ask you to become one of us in the midst of our struggles. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dios le bendiga. Muchísimas gracias. God bless you. God bless you.